Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Monday, April 29th, 2019. On today's episode, we're going to talk about last night's episode of Game of Thrones, The Long Night, and the controversy that surrounded it over how it was presented. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Soretta, and joining me on today's podcast, Slash Film Managing Editor Jacob Hall. Hello, hello. Senior Writer Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? Ben is phoning in all the way from the UK. Yes, that is correct. Uh, I'm here for a work trip that I'm not sure if I can talk about yet, so I'll, I'll play it safe and just be coy for the time being. But guys, I want to talk, before we dive into uh, our discussion about this episode, I want to talk about watching the show in the UK. So really quickly, uh, <laughs> I'm here with a bunch of other journalists, and that's all everybody was talking about. Not the actual event that we're here for, but last <laughs> night's Game of Thrones and how everybody could watch it. And I was talking with my wife, and there's this, for, for maybe some people might not know, but HBO Go does not work uh, when you're overseas if you're, I guess, if your account is, like, based in America primarily. Uh, so you can get this thing of VPN, which is, like, what is that, a virtual <laughs> private network? Is that what that stands for? Yes. Something like that. So you can, there are a couple of different ways to sort of get around it. Um, Actually, a lot of the... um, on a previous episode of Slash Film Daily, uh, when I was we were talking to Jeff about his trip to Disneyland Shanghai, he tried the VPN in to watch Game of Thrones with the VPN there, and they had like I don't know firewalled it in some way that it was not possible. Yeah, I listened to that episode, so I was a little hesitant about even going down the VPN path in case that happened to be true here for the record i don't think it is i think that's more like china's restrictions versus the uk yeah. but anyway I, I found that there's a way for people to watch it so i mean i'm sure uk watchers know what they're doing now but maybe if some of the listeners out there have somehow planned a trip to the uk and this might be useful information for you uh there's this service called now tv and it's like a uh, a subscription service where you can get access to a lot of different tiers of content and there's an entertainment tier and it lets you watch things live and uh, across a bunch of different channels including sky atlantic which is the the network that game of thrones uh, airs on here in uh, england 
And um, so I, I was able to sign up for a seven day free trial of that and then watch the episode, like download some software on my computer, uh, watch the episode that way, and then just immediately cancel my account so I didn't have to pay for anything afterwards. So I was happy that I was able to watch it. The problem, of course, is that it aired at two in the morning here uh, if I wanted to watch it live. And I had a series of uh, work-related events that I had to attend today, and I didn't <laughs> want to get up earlier you know, to, than I was supposed to leave to try to like force this, this episode in. So I was like, you know what? Screw it. I'm just going to get up at 2 a.m. and watch this thing as it happens. And then, guys, there are commercials with, with Sky Atlantic. What? And, Yes, I I mean Jacob, if you were here, I mean I was like practically sprinting around my hotel room like screaming <laughs> in the night. Like what in the hell because I as you know, there are no natural breaks in an episode of Game of Thrones, so it just cuts away like after a you know, there there's a moment when uh there's a very dramatic moment in the episode. Jon Snow draws his sword and walks toward the Night King. And that's that's not super spoilery for people who, you know, you sort of anticipate that a moment like that might happen. As soon as Jon draws his sword, they cut away. And there's like nine commercials in a row. And I'm like screaming <laughs> in my room. I mean, not really because I'm trying to stay quiet because I'm probably the only person awake in this entire hotel. But anyway, I just wanted to... To uh, give you guys a little bit of context for what that experience is like and maybe uh, apologize in advance for any incoherent rambling that might happen, I'm very tired, guys. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's always funny when you're watching like a Netflix original series and you can see like in the episodes those like cut to commercial like teasery like, you know, we're leaving you on some kind of cliffhanger, you know, don't leave your TV. And it's because, you know, those shows were not either originally shot for a Netflix original or Netflix is, you know, having those shows air on TV in other territory. So like sometimes they're still built in and then other times like the OA doesn't have any breaks. And I'm sure like all the, all the uh, HBO stuff doesn't have like any of that. Like that's not yeah. built into how they script it and produce it. While we're sharing stories about watching Game of Thrones overseas, I was not as fortunate as Ben to have discovered a service when I was in uh, Sydney, Australia during the season six finale, when I was reviewing, uh, Game of Thrones episode solo, unlike when I'm doing the season, when I'm doing them with Ben. And I tried doing every possible workaround to try to watch the season finale to make sure I could still write my review, and I was screaming. And my my good friend, uh, who, I, who I've watched every episode of Game of Thrones with since episode one, uh, had it on his DVR, ripped it from his DVR, and emailed me as a file. And that's how I watched the season <laughs> six finale and emailed it for, and, uh, and reviewed it for Slash Film. Oh, wow. <laughs> well, you had to do it for work. So, okay. Yeah. Let's let's talk about last night's episode. Uh, and by the way, I'm moderating this. But I I do not really watch Game of Thrones. Don't throw you know knives or swords or whatever whatever Game of Thrones joke you want to make here. Dragons at me. But uh, but I'm gonna you know we're, I'm gonna move this along for us. Uh, so let's start out with I think what everybody is talking about. I saw 30 minutes of this episode last night, and by saw I mean. I looked at 30 minutes, but I, I'm not sure I saw what was going on. It was too damn dark. What, a lot of people are complaining about this online. Jacob, is this is this intentional? Like, did they want people to like feel like like when they're in this battle? Like, are they supposed to feel like disoriented and not knowing who's who, or is this a flaw? 
This was the big discussion online last night, because if you were on Twitter in the minutes after the episode uh, was over, there were so many instant jokes and memes and people who were angry about this because the episode is incredibly dark. It's incredibly cloaked in shadow. And on top of the shadow, there is a blizzard and there's a bunch of ash swirling around at all times. So the episode is incredibly murky and very, very hard to see. And people were instantly going crazy about this. And to put this in perspective, the, I've been watching Game of Thrones the same group for a decade. We, I've, and a few years ago, my group got a new TV, uh, a, a really nice one, and the guy whose TV it was always very carefully calibrates it. He takes it very seriously. If people mess with the settings, he gets genuinely angry. And uh, he... But halfway through the episode, he paused it. We watched it on cable. We were, we were not watching the uh, streaming version. But he paused it using DVR and said, guys, I can't tell what's going on. I can't tell who's dying. I can't tell where people are, can we brighten this up? And we lost the show. It went to brightness. We watched it back half the episode with the brightness uh, knocked up so we can actually follow the action. And that meant like the image was washed out. It didn't look as good. But he, like, we sacrificed a good-looking image so we can actually follow the damn thing. And I have never had to do it with Game of Thrones before. I've never had to do that on this TV before. Uh, it was I was bowled over, and I thought maybe something wrong with the TV. But then... I went online and found out that people were having the same problem with their cable. People had the same problem on HBO Go and HBO Now. In fact, some people joked that the artifacting uh, from the bad, from like the overworked stream on HBO Go and HBO Now was so bad that brightened the image, let them see the action better. But either way, uh, whether this uh, our darkness was a creative choice or not, it was a problem. And as I wrote in my review for Slash Film, I believe very strongly that this was a choice. They wanted to have an overwhelming sense of darkness, overwhelming sense of not knowing where the enemy is, overwhelming sense of, you know, doom at, at your fighting shadows. And I think that was the intent. But once you put that in ash, once you put that in a blizzard, and once you talk about how the episode was cut, which is a whole separate thing I want to talk about, it becomes incomprehensible. I could not follow this. Like, there's a scene where a character appears to die. We all thought he was dead. Then he appears in another room. We all sometimes said, what? Because we all thought he had died. So, Ben, this is my group watching on giant TV, calibrated by by somebody who really, really knows TVs. How was it in a hotel room on a computer? It was very weird. I had to crank my brightness all the way up as well. So I could, and, and the computer was, you know, I was laying in a bed and it was on my chest. So I'm talking like inches away from my face. So I think I was able to see a little bit better than you were, weirdly, even though I have like a much worse setup overall. But I think that distance was crucial or, or lack of distance from my eyes to the screen was crucial for an episode like this, it sounds like. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to getting back to the States and watching this on my huge 4K TV now um, and and sort of tracking the differences because, yeah, I'm seeing a lot of that, that same reaction. And um, I mean, you know, it, it's really tough. It's a tough thing because this has been the episode that they've been hyping for you know, however long the show has been in production or this this final season has been in production, that's been the big marketing hook for the season is the Great War is here. You know, like this is this is the one they did, you know, whatever it was, 55 nights of uh, of shooting. Uh, you know, they've trotted out the stats over and over again. Everybody knows how uh, difficult it was to to produce this episode. And then for it to land this way where people can't see all of the uh <laughs> of the results of that hard work is um sort of a mind-blowing thing to happen like you would think that hbo would you know with all of that hype would go out of their way to make sure that people could actually uh enjoy the product that they're producing 
But um, I guess I should mention, I, I read right before we started recording, I, I found this article that Slate published, and maybe we can link to it in the show notes, because it's a pretty good article, and it's it's a decent explainer of what what went wrong with this episode. And if you guys don't mind, I'll just read a, a quick uh, excerpt from it that, that might try to get to the heart of why exactly this happened. They said, uh, the switch to digital filming and post-production made it easier and faster for uh, TV and film productions to work in low light than it had been on film. Uh, simultaneously, the switch from cathode ray tubes to high definition televisions a couple years ago made that same low light cinematography look worse than it ever had before, especially on lower end models of TVs. Meanwhile, cable companies switched to digital distribution, applying their own video compression to the already compressed signals they got from the networks. And streaming services like HBO Now do the same thing in order to fit HDTV signals into as little internet uh, bandwidth as possible. So every time lossy video compression is applied to the video, the image quality drops. So that, and that's the end of their quote. And it's, they're basically saying it's the perfect storm for all of these decisions to just compound one on top of the other and result in this sort of muddy mess of an, of a, of not of an episode. Cause I feel like the episode is pretty decent, but just uh, the presentation of the episode. Yeah, I think that same Slate article, because I, I skimmed it before we started this, has a comparison to Once, uh, where how in the movie Once, the the um, music producers and the, and the musicians take their finished song out in a car test to see how the song sounds outside the studio in, in, in you know, in a, in a car, over, over the speakers in a car, to see if the song actually works. And it makes me wonder, did they take Game of Thrones and put it on an actual consumer TV and test it, or they were just testing out in HBO's finest facilities? Yeah, that's... Uh... That's a, it's a real shame, man. I don't, I don't know. It's a tough beat for him, I think. Yeah. And I, one thing I want to talk about is um, this, this quote was going around Twitter last night. And uh, Andrew Leslie, who shot all three Lord of the Rings movies, was asked on the set of The Two Towers by Sean Astin where the light was coming from. Because it's a night shoot and you're setting up all these lights to illuminate the battle scene. And the lights did not make literal sense. To which Andrew Leslie responded, the lights come from the same place as the music. Um, which to me is the most brilliant summation I've ever heard of how you can light a movie scene where you're lighting for storytelling and you're lighting for emotion. And I think that um, Miguel uh, Sakunik, the director of this episode, who's a very, very talented director, he did Hard Home, he did Battle of the Bastards, he's done good battles before, leans so heavily on trying to create realistic darkness and realistic chaos that he lost the idea of creating a cinematic chaos, chaos that we can follow. So rather than being staged chaos, it is literal chaos. Do you agree with that, Ben? The thing about that is I think you're right, but I think it's the right decision for Game of Thrones. I feel like, you know, to because the Lord of the Rings is so heightened, it's heightened in a way that Game of Thrones has not been uh, on a stylistic level. And I feel like Game of Thrones has really... I mean, obviously, it's a show about dragons, but uh, the the realism has been a, a huge part of the show's approach to cinematic storytelling. And so I think the idea of let's get in there and show, uh, essentially try to hide a lot of what's coming, I think it makes sense. You know, look at look at what happens with Brienne and Jamie and the the front lines and that whole Dothraki sequence at the at the beginning. They're standing there staring into the darkness, not knowing what is about to come at them. And that's totally an intentional decision. And it works really well for, you know, watching the fear play out on all of these characters' faces. The problem is it's just 
a little, it's like a step too far or something. And then also the compression issues that we talked about and some of these other things just, you know, add these extra layers, which I don't think were intended, but uh, I don't know if that's bad directing or if that's something that somebody missed a, a, a memo somewhere in the process, but like, or if it's as simple as maybe doing a test shoot and then playing it on a, a standard issue TV or something like that to try to get a, a sense of what the, the final thing could look like. I'm not sure what the, the solution is, but it just seemed like, do you know what I'm saying, Jacob? Like it makes yeah. sense on a story level, but it just the execution was not <laughs> ideal. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I, I wonder if HBO is going to release a less compressed version of this on HBO Go or something like that. Like if that's even possible. Like because I know the codec for that is across the the platform. Yeah, and I, I don't think this was like incompetence. I don't think this was a case where people were like, I don't think this is crappy filmmaking. I don't think this is inexperience. This, this is a season the crew of the season director. As Ben said, this is clearly a creative choice. And I think early on, like with the Dothraki riding off in the darkness, seeing the lights flicker out, you know, very quickly, is genuinely eerie and a really good use of that darkness. But as the fight comes into into the battle and close to Winterfell, and as we're like in the fight, surrounded by torches and fires and dragon flames, it's still murky and it's still hard to follow. And I think this is where the editing comes into effect because it is all Quantum of Solace style quick cuts. It is all close ups. There's only a handful of cramps shots in the entire episode those are the best shots of the battle like when the camera pulls out to see the dragons hovering above the clouds and the camera pulls out for a crane shot to see the dead assembled along the trench that's been lit on fire but so much of the actual fight we're watching two dragons fighting one each other the first time we ever see this in game of thrones and it's entirely these digital close-ups cut to be frames long yeah and battle itself it's just constant close-up there's no sense of winterfell's geography and ultimately i wrote this in the article as well most of the fight is like Brienne and Tormund with their backs against walls, hacking at the dead for 45 minutes. Like they're, they're not like teaming up. There's like no like glances with each other. There's no character moments. Uh, only Arya and the Hound really get to get away from the battle and, and have stuff happen to them that actually feels different. These characters we love, who we spent all of last week's episode, which is a, a masterpiece of an episode, saying goodbye to, are turned into glorified extras as they stand in one place and chop for an hour. Yeah, I hate to say it. It sort of reminds me of like the Avengers problem, because now at this point in the show, all of these characters are together in one location. And it's like a storytelling decision of like, OK, these are the characters that we're going to focus on for this episode. And everybody else just sort of gets, you know, short shrift in the whole thing. And especially characters like Jamie and Brienne and, and uh, even Grey Worm to some degree. It's just like, OK, we've got these these warriors, these fighters out here, and we have other characters that we're concentrating on more throughout the thing. So, right, you're right, Jacob. I mean, it just leaves them, you know, with their backs up against the wall for, and then cross cuts away, you know, to other things and occasionally comes back to them and you're like, well, this doesn't really make sense. How, how would they still be alive, you know, when, when they're having hordes and hordes of people pushed up to them? Like the timing didn't really flow very well. And I think yeah. that's a larger part of what you're talking about. And, and this editing stuff. And then, of course, yeah, that that dragon fight, which I think is supposed to be sort of like a holy shit. Wow. These dragons are really going at it moment <laughs> is, again, you know, uh, framed in such a way where it's just I, the, the only thing I thought about during that section was how weird it must have been for 
uh, um, Kit Harrington and uh, Amelia Clark to be on the back of the little dragon models that we always see them on, you know, in behind the scenes episodes. Like it, it completely took me out of it because they were just like spinning and twirling around and like grabbing and falling off and whatever. But it's it's there's no reality to any of that, and you can't see what's going on. So I think if one of those things was at least true, you might be able to stay in that scene. I might have been able to stay in that scene a little bit more. But, uh, yeah, I had some some big problems with that. You know, yeah, know. also this, uh, watching as an outsider who doesn't have investment in, in this story or characters, it was even, like, completely obvious to me, like, when, you know, at the end of the episode when Arya Stark, like, shows up out of nowhere. Like, I, I think that goes against your theory that this could just be, like, a problem of too many characters in one location, the Avengers problem that you suggest. Because, like, the – who was it? The showrunner the, who can't look at the camera while he's, like, explaining the episode in the in the making of? Uh, I don't know who that was. But he, he explains that was intentional, that, like, they wanted you to forget that she – where she was. And they wanted her – Oh, that's her- interesting because the Arya thing totally worked for me because they took a minute to set that up with Melisandre and they had her, you know, deliver that line of dialogue. And then she runs away. And you know in the back of your mind, okay, Arya has a plan. She's going to do something. And then I'm okay with them cutting away and showing some other stuff and having her pop in as, like, a surprise thing because in the back of my mind – it was opening up a checkbox and waiting for the box to be ticked. And, and so I was, I thought that was like particularly well done. That's like one of my favorite moments in the yeah. episode. Jacob, I, I, I have to admit, you know, you and I have been double teaming these, these uh, recap review things for slash film this season. And I have not, I've left you high and dry because I've been gone and I wasn't able to help you. So I haven't read your article yet. What did you make of the Aria moment? What did you think about that? And I spent the first half of my review talking about how this episode is a technical mess and the back half explaining what I like. Because in the middle of this overlong, messy, badly cut, underlit battle is a lot of really important, good character moments and stuff that's been a long time coming. And the Arya thing, I think it's earned and it really fulfills everything the character has been doing for the past eight years. I mean, her line where uh, Melisandre says, what do we say to God of Death? And Arya responds, not today. is a callback, to, as fans remember, to her very first teacher, Cyril Farrell, who taught her, you know, what do we say to the god of death? Not today, back when she was a little girl, first learning how to sword fight. And so this, that scene takes two boxes from me, which is Melisandre um, having realized off screen that the, the hero she's been searching for <laughs> for all these years has not been a king, it's been Arya Stark. Uh, and, her, and her reason for being at Winterfell was to have that exchange, which is an important thing that happened. And two, it sets up Arya defeating death. I mean... She's been saying not today to death for eight seasons now. And and as Samwell said last uh, last week in last week's episode, if death is forgetting, and Arya Stark is a girl who refused to forget. She refused to, she refused to forget the people who hurt her. She refused to get her, uh, forget her family. She refused to forget her own name when she went to assassin school and was told to become, you know, become no one. The girl whose greatest strength is her ability to remember defeats death. And it is something that's literally been built up since season one. And it's a perfect, like, winning moment. And I'm so glad it happened. I just wish that everything leading up to it wasn't so such a mess. Yeah. See, I, I guess for me, like, someone who doesn't watch this, it's not that she de- defeats death that's the, the problem. It's that it comes out of nowhere that it's just, like, it feels like a gimmicky twist. And, it, it like, it's not building on the tension of her arriving there. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's not... 
I mean, it does have that moment of her leaving earlier on. I, I get that. And if I've, I was probably watching, I don't know, maybe I'm speaking out of turn because I, I do not watch the show, but it, it just felt like it was out of nowhere. I get that, Peter. And I, for me, it's a case where I forgive this one because Arya's had this moment coming for so long. I'm willing to forgive my disbelief here. But the problem is this, this episode asks us to forgive, forgive disbelief early and often. I mean, these are all seasoned battle commanders. I'm thinking back to Blackwater from season two, which is a much smaller battle. But in that episode, we know what both sides want. We know what their strategies are. And we watch as their tactics evolve, as they react to one another. It's always clear where people are, what the stakes are, what they have to lose. And when things evolve, the, the characters in the staging make it very clear about how armies are reacting to this. And that never happens here. I mean, Jon Snow loses this fight. He loses badly. And this episode never gives us a reason to care because, similarly to how everything is so incomprehensibly cut, there's no plan here. What was their plan, Ben? Did this sit here and hope they won? I mean, every other fight in Game of Thrones has been interested in battlefield tactics except this one. What happened? Yeah, um, I, I think you can make that case. I mean, I have to say, like, the John's actions in particular reminded me a little bit of the Battle of the Bastards where he he just sort of goes off and does his own thing. And yeah, you get that great shot from behind with, you know, the army bearing down on him and him drawing a sword. And then it's just sort of like uh, immediately undercut by the people coming to save him. Um, this time he's just like getting ready to stare a dragon down in the face and like scream the word no at it or something. Like what is he thinking at the end there? And then, yeah, on a strategic level, the whole thing sort of seemed like a mess to me. Like what I, I am, I'm unclear as to whether they thought that the, the Dothraki horde were just such an amazing fighting squad that they could do everything themselves. Like why would they send them out without modified weapons? Like that's, that's a weird thing. I guess maybe they thought that uh, Melisandre's fire was modification enough, but they didn't know that she was going to you know show up. Um, the so, dragon stuff was weird to me too. Like, why were they? It just seemed so random. It seemed like there wasn't a plan for the dragons, which are your two big powerhouse things that nobody else, you know, you you're outnumbering them on the dragon front, and it just seemed like, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I can't defend that. So you're suggesting that there's problems with this episode beyond the darkness, beyond the cinematography, beyond how they chose to present this. Hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, some story problems. Yes, uh, as much as it, so. The thing is, Jacob, I still kind of like this episode. Like, I feel like I'm I'm coming off more negative than I actually felt watching it. Um, you know, I, I think it is impressive. You know, you feel all of those hours and all of those night shoots in every frame of this. You feel the work and the choreography and the the pain that these actors went through to pull this off and it's it's like undoubtedly an impressive feat to accomplish but at the same time those story moments just sort of hamstring the the larger appreciation of the whole thing it's like my appreciation can only extend so far um but and and then you know you've also got some of those great character moments like you talked about and there's some moments like Tyrion and Sansa in the crypt that I really enjoyed and then you know obviously Arya at the end we talked about and you know there are in Jorah's death I, I thought that was really well executed as well um, but uh, ultimately Jacob I think for me it comes down to 
obviously there were some presentation problems here. But then taking a step back from that and looking at the episode with a little bit more of a, a wider view, I wanted to cry during this episode. I was prepared. I was mentally ready to be like deeply moved and emotion an emotional mess after this episode. And I wasn't because so many of these characters who we had prepared ourselves to die this this episode ended up surviving. And that was like a surprise to me. And I don't know if that's a a result of my own expectations not being met in like a a weird way or if that's the show but I, you know, I, I don't I, think I, those I, are unreasonable expectations after the last episode i feel like they were building it up for there to yeah. be some casualties yeah, yeah what, I, what did you make of the body count jacob i wrote about this in my article and I'll, i'm of two differing minds to the point where they contradict each other and on one mind uh, I, I'm happy, like, oh my god, Brienne and Tormund made it, they're alive, oh, Gendry gets to live another day, hooray, these characters who I love, who I appreciate, they made it, I can spend more time with them, that's great. But on the other hand, it's like, are you the same show who cut off Ned Stark's head? Are you the same show that murdered Rob Stark at a wedding? Are you the same show that crushed Oberyn Martell's skull? No. I mean, it, it's like, where has your nerve gone? Why aren't you killing the people I love? And I feel like this was the, this was the episode to give a lot of deaths a lot of meaning. And now we have three episodes left, of course, and there's more to happen. But I feel like, what can Podrick do in these last three episodes that would be worth keeping him around when he could have had a meaningful death here? Right. And, uh, or or not even a meaningful death. A a, uh, a purposeful lack of a meaningful death. Like, the, you know, the, the ideal thing for me for what this show could have done in this episode to recapture some of the tone of the earlier seasons was when Brienne, Jamie, and Pod are standing there uh, on the left flank, like staring down this army, just have the army come out of nowhere and just overrun all three of them and immediately kill them in such a way that you, as the audience, understand the fact that they're dead once and for all, but they don't have any power, you know, great moments or whatever. Like, that's the show that Game of Thrones used to be, was like, just because you love this character doesn't mean that they're going to get a noble death or, you know, have any sort of hero moment. Like, they're facing down the army of the dead. This was the show's chance to wipe the floor with these characters in a huge way. And it, it really didn't do that, which was a surprise to me. Yeah, like I said, I'm not sure it's a good surprise. I mean, if, like, for example, if Brienne does not have a role to play his last three episodes, if she spends the next three hours or three episodes hanging around the background and, and contributing nothing to the plot, then Brienne survived because the showrunners know we like her. And that is not a good reason to keep someone alive in this show. But, I mean, do we think that, I mean, usually with Game of Thrones, correct me if I'm wrong, it's the episode, the penultimate episode of each season that is the one where shit goes down and people die, right? It used to be that way, but ever since they structured the new seasons with seven and six episodes each, they've kind of thrown the structure out the window. So I'm not prepared to really follow that yet. And since this was the big battle episode of the season, I don't think they have anything as big as this planned. I really don't think we're going to get another huge battle. What do you think, Ben? Yeah, and uh, weirdly, Sky Atlantic doesn't air the next time on preview, so I haven't seen that yet. But I, I talked to my wife after after the episode, and she said there was some King's Landing stuff uh, in the next episode. So, uh, yeah, I'm I'm uh, you know ultimately it's a little strange to it's always a little strange in any uh, ongoing show to assess one episode within. Uh, the context of a larger season without having seen the entire season, because 
yes, there are moments here that struck me as odd storytelling choices, but that's because I don't know the arc of the full season. Sure, Brienne may have some significant role yet to play. Uh, you know, things could could pan out later on where I'm like, oh, I'm so glad they didn't kill off Pod or Brienne or Jamie or whatever because all of these resonant moments are lined up just to be, you know, ticked off in the next couple episodes or something. And I hope that's what happens because right now, looking at it from our limited perspective, not knowing what's coming, it feels a little, it feels like they, they sort of, uh, you know, (laughs) they took a huge swing. It feels like they took a huge swing and then, uh, you know, hit like a, like a solid double or something instead of hitting it out of the park. Uh, Uh, Judging by Jacob's headline for the, the solo game of Thrones review, you say it drops the ball with the worst battle in the show's history. That sounds yes. that doesn't sound like a solid double to me. Uh, that's the thing is I talk about this in the review, which is the battle itself sucks. I I think I've made that pretty clear in this podcast as well, and I'm trying I'm trying not to be like cruel about it because I think that you know people work hard. Clearly, clearly, was a lot of effort put in this, a lot of time, money, and hours. But the battle as an action scene, as a satisfying action scene, um, does not work. It's incoherent, but the episode itself, like stuff in the crypts between Sansa and Tyrion, uh, Arya uh, com- coming full circle, just all these little moments on the edges, uh, stuff with Melisandre, Theon making his final sacrifice in a, in a very, very good death scene. These are This is all stuff I like. This is all stuff I think was very good. This is all stuff I'm glad I watched. It's stuff that I hope I will remember and stuff that, like the fact that we're talking about not being able to see the battle instead of Jorah dying in Danny's arms breaks my heart because Ian Glenn is such an incredible actor and Miller Clark is sharing a genuine moment with him as he lies laser dying in our arms. He's, you know, the exiled knight who found something to fight for and dying for that very thing. It's a beautiful moment. It's just, you know, scattered in the middle of this terrible battle that goes on forever and ever and ever. So I will not call this the worst episode of Game of Thrones history, but it is indeed the worst battle. And for me, that's an important distinction. Where, where do you think we're headed? Well, in the scenes for the next episode, we saw King's Landing, and we saw Cersei mobilizing all of the mercenaries that she's hired from overseas. So since they can't top this, at least they, at least they, that was early press, they can't, can't top this fight. Um, I don't think we're heading toward, you know, a massive battle between the surviving Northerners and, and the Southerners, because there's no one left. I mean, so many of the forces gathered at Winterfell are dead now. So I really do wonder and hope that the final stretch of the show is a return to like, you know, the politics and the intrigue and the scheming and a war that maybe winds down through skirmishes and assassination and diplomacy as opposed to a massive conflict. Because I don't think I don't think this this Jon Snow's army can beat Cersei, Cersei Lannister in a way that exists in this show's reality. Uh, am I right about this, Ben? Or do you think you're yeah. going to try to? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think there's no way. Like, I, I think it's like the same question that I have about where does the MCU go after Endgame, which is like you have to contract things down because it, it's so big that that to try to top it is a fool's errand. And I think the the show knows that. And I hope, Jacob, that you're right. I, I think, you know, we, we've known for years that George R. R. Martin, who wrote the book series on which Game of Thrones is based, gave the showrunners uh, a loose outline of the fates of all the major characters. So the idea that, you know, several of the characters that I thought for sure were going to die in this episode didn't, um, is, you know, 
with you know within the context of this episode seems to strain credulity a little bit but it on the same uh, on the other hand it gives me a little bit of hope that that something satisfying is in store for them because i have to assume that all of the major characters uh w- their fates have been have been dictated by martin so and if that's the case then i have to assume that they're going to be relatively satisfying conclusions to those characters arcs or at least leave them in interesting places like the aria moment feels like the hodor moment from what was that season five i think or season six maybe um you know where where they the show was beyond well beyond the books at that point but it that was such a george r, r. martin moment and aria killing the night king also feels like such a George R. R. Martin moment for all those reasons you listed, Jacob. It's you know it's it's been built baked into the fabric of her character since the beginning. So I'm hoping that we're going to see similar tracks uh, over the next three episodes. I just have no idea what's going to happen on a plot level because this was the the one thing that all of the press materials leading up to this season, which is obviously shrouded in extreme secrecy, this was the one thing that the PR team was comfortable talking about in advance. So on a story level, I have no clue what's coming, which is like, you know, I'm excited about it. I'm still intrigued about it. And even after this episode, I'm I, I, let's just put it this way. Even with the presentation issues of this episode, I'm not as um, fraught. <laughs> I'm not in as fraught a state as I was after the Beyond the Wall episode last season. So uh, I, I'm not ready to like flip a table because... <laughs> things didn't make sense to such an extreme degree this um i was more like sort of watched it with a raised eyebrow like wait you're telling me that a lot of these characters really they made it through that that's kind of my um that's kind of my attitude about it right now but uh i I don't know i'm also very very tired so i don't know if that's even going to be my position in 24 hours or something when i finally get on a a decent sleep schedule again i I couldn't fit in anywhere else so I'll i'll take this moment Talk about how you have Arya ninjaing your way through Winterfell, taking off zombie heads. You have Brienne and Tormund smashing zombies in the courtyard, screaming. You have Lyanna Mormont being crushed to death as she kills an undead giant. You have Jon Snow and Daenerys dragon dueling in the sky against an undead dragon. And what does Bran do? Bran goes into some birds. That's all he does. <laughs> Bran goes into some birds. Yeah, uh, what, a useless, what a useless little boy! What a useless, <laughs> useless little boy! He can he can put himself into other animals and creatures. He does not. That drove yeah, me I, crazy, Ben. I was sure that he was going to warg into the dragon at one point. At you know, at the very end when the Night King is staring him down, I was like, "Is Bran going to warg into the Night King?" Because they're just staring at each other for what seems like a minute straight, and then he just doesn't do anything. <laughs> so yeah, I, that's another one of those things where. I feel like something has to be coming for Bran because you know that Martin didn't envision Bran his entire arc to just be bait for the Night King. Like that doesn't, I I can't believe that that's what he has in store for that character. So again, I'm, it's weird to sort of try to assess all of this in real time as it's happening without knowing what happens, but that's the best we can do right now. And I think you and I are, are, we certainly have plenty of issues with this episode, but 
yeah, just I guess to to wrap things up, I'm still I was still pleased with a lot of it. So I think I'm a little bit higher on the episode overall than you are, Jacob. But uh, it's almost impossible to argue with a lot of the criticism that we've levied against it. I think. Yeah, I'm really really hoping that they stick the landing. And to be fair, I do think the show has a habit of sticking landings. I think most of the season finales have been, have been strong, and the show's been at its best when it you know is forced to clean up a mess as opposed to making a mess. So. Fingers crossed. Okay. We have officially hit the wall. This is the end of the episode. You can go read Jacob's full review on the site. I will link that in the show notes. You can find all of our work at SlashFilm.com. You can find this podcast, SlashFilm Daily, published every weekday on iTunes, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all your popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to us at Peter at SlashFilm.com. We will have a water cooler episode later this week. We will have dive into some Avengers Endgame spoilers, so look forward to that. Please rate and review this podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends. Spread the word. We'll see you tomorrow.